Welcome to the Classical Guitar LPs podcast. For this episode, we'll be listening to the 1980 release by Leona Boyd called Spanish Fantasy. It's on the Columbia Masterworks label M36675. I have a very special guest with me on this episode, Stephen Kennedy, who I'm uh, able to call a friend. We do have a history. He was a, a student of mine at Simpson College many years ago. And uh, Stephen, why don't you say hello to the listeners out there? Hi. Glad to be on the podcast and uh, looking forward to this. And we'll be right back on the Classical Guitar LPs podcast. And we're back on the Classical Guitar LPs podcast. I'd like to welcome Stephen to the podcast. Why don't you take a minute, introduce yourself to listenership, and let us know some interesting things about yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, my name is Stephen Kennedy, and I'm a local guitarist here, kind of based in central Iowa. And uh, yeah, I studied with Aaron for three years at Simpson College, and then I went to Belmont University for my master's degree. For the last oh, 10, 10 to 12 years or so, I've been back here in central Iowa teaching and performing. I teach at Simpson College now, and then Central College, and then kind of really all over the place. And then, yeah, I just uh, pretty much everything guitar is what uh, kind of what I do. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm, I'm just real pleased you're able to, to follow what you want to do, and you do a great job of that. I know I've seen some recordings of some of your students, and I'm just kind of like... Uh, in a way, they're kind of like grandchildren to me, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's kind of fun. It's- the other thing I think maybe the listeners should know is that we are part of a group called the Heart of Iowa Classical Guitar mm-hmm. Society. Yeah. I say that I don't do much work involved in that. I, I want to make sure to let everyone know that, that this person here sitting across from me does lion's share uh, of, of the work in the organization. He just does an amazing job with it. He's our, our current president. We have some exciting things going on in upcoming here in a couple of weeks on April the 22nd, we have William Kanengeiser uh, coming to Des Moines, and we're just really, really pumped about that. This episode will probably air after his concert happens, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm guessing. I probably won't get it done before the 22nd, and so in any case, I know William Kanengeiser is is somebody that I, I have looked up to for many years. I actually... Uh, was fortunate enough to study with him in master class about 20 years ago. I, the, actually, it's 21 because I, I saw the uh, Kim had the picture and it came out in 2002. So it was okay. a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so thanks for all your hard work with with that and 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 you know bringing classical guitar to a lot of people in central Iowa. And uh, anyway, it's just it's it's great to see how how our group is is flourishing. So yeah, yeah, we we definitely have grown a lot the last few years. And and oddly enough, I think since COVID, it seems like we've really seen a big push in, in uh, attendance and, and just donations and, and grants that we've been able to get and uh, which allows us to bring guitarists like Cannon Geyser. And, it's 100% true. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find us about Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so heartofiowaguitar.com. If you go there, you can you can get all the information about us. If, if you'd like to join the organization or something, keep track of what we have going on, heartofiowaguitar.com. And then also you can find us on Facebook, uh, Facebook. Uh, dot com slash Higgs, which is our, our acronym H I C G S. Right, very good. And I'll make sure to put some links in the description right. too about that. So I'm just going to go ahead and start by saying I, I think there are some really awesome tracks on on this recording, both both front side and back side. Uh, as I was explaining to you beforehand, mm-hmm. I usually talk up the uh, the first side, and you know we've got we've got Gran Jota de Concierto. Uh, Capriccio Arabe and then Sueño, those are three tracks by Tarega, although <laughs> although it, it, I don't know if you caught this, she, she arranged uh, those three Tarega tracks. Okay. So that, that might be another thing that when we were talking about other things, that might be she may have made some adjustments sure. to the score. I, I, I don't know. And then, uh, so yeah, why don't you um, 
you know what what I, I think one of the things about Leona's playing is that I love her tone an awful lot and I think I'd, I'd start with that what do you have anything to offer about the yeah, no, I, sound I thought it was yeah really great it was very full um, mm-hmm. you know it's always that's a good way to just full is a good way to just yeah it. when I listen to it I, I have uh, at home I have uh, my, my turntable and I have kind of two stacks of speakers on either side of my uh, of my kind of my sound council and so it, it's not the best I mean it's a pretty good setup but it's not the best for uh-huh. real critical listening um, so I didn't I didn't get into the nitty gritty of all the details of her sound but I did like it um, yeah I thought it was very virtuosic um, you know I think the one the difficult thing to, to analyze with mm-hmm. her is that you know that, that she's no longer really on a concert concertizing mm-hmm. classical guitarist and so there's a, a little yeah. This recording, I mean, 1980. That's that's 40. That 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 predates you. Yeah, right? seven yeah. years before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's a thing where you know that and and and, and her debut I think was 74, perhaps 73. Mm-hmm. I mean, so this is not a this is not a brand. This isn't her. She's a seasoned guitarist at this mm-hmm. point. But anyway, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. Um, but you know, so that some other guitarist, maybe contemporaries of her at the time. Uh, Baraweko, uh, Fisk, um, yep. you know, sure. guitars like that, where we can okay, we can listen to what they sounded like then, and then compare them over the years to what they. We don't hear. have that comparison. Yeah, yeah so that's, it's hard that's to kind of. That's a good. You know, that's how I think we gauge some in our minds currently how we think of, of guitars and how they sound or how they did sound. That's true. And her, for instance, you know, we, all we have is this. I mean, I mean, she. I think she recorded it into the '90s, but she, right, yeah, right. Yeah, no, very, very good point. So, um, I really like Gran Hota is is one of my favorite pieces, and I I've told the listenership before. Um, a, a lot of the reason for that is because that and and maybe maybe I've told you, but it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my first guitar instructor, Mark Weber, gave me a a CD of Pepe Romero, and that was the op- that's the opening track on Noches de España. Okay, and Pepe just blazes through that like he does, and um, you know, it. This this is. Uh, I think she does some blazing of her own on the Grand Holta. Mm-hmm. I just I, I really liked the, the the bravada she brought to it. I and I, I agree. I think I think the playing is virtuosic. I mean, it's it's kind of like well, here I come. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So I and I haven't scrutinized any of these three scores in comparison to Torrega's original. I have, so. I, so what she arranged, I you know, I suppose sure. you could nitpick it. Could be there. fingering simply, you know, right. she you know enough right. that she felt that it was worth putting That's her true. name on it. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Very good. And well, so so we have those three uh, those three Tarraga pieces. I just love them. Any thoughts on Capriccio Arabe or, or Sueño specifically? Or uh, nothing really. Yeah, steps. I mean, it, it comes to mind. I think they're good tracks. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're great. Uh, full pieces to, to put on a yes. recording. Yeah, it certainly it certainly is a. I've said it before about a different Leona Boyd record that I that I've reviewed, and 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 she does a piece. She does El Colibri, and I don't. Okay. And and she is just, she is really ripping and playing super fast, and it's kind of like, here comes Leona, you mm-hmm. know. And I so I suppose there's a little bit of her uh, having to prove some things, you know. Sure. Um, and then we close out uh, side one with uh, Guajira uh, by Emilio Pujol. I I have to say I. I didn't know this piece before mm-hmm. I and, and I I feel like I know well I know a lot of Emilio Pujol's uh, didactic stuff because that's what I was trained on a lot uh, you know from his uh, school um, school of guitar from mm-hmm. so so and then you know some etudes and studies uh, Abe Horo stuff like that but I, 
this piece I did not know. What what were your thoughts on? on um, I think I'd heard of it before. Uh-huh. You know, it, it, at some point, there's enough pieces that you know it's mm-hmm. easy to uh, lose track. Have I heard this before? It sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it, yeah. I, 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 the name certainly, I'm, I'm aware of the piece. Exactly but, right. Yeah. Exactly. But I, yeah, I'd love and and there. I think there's going to be more to talk about with specifics regarding the uh, the second side because of some of the war horses that are on it. Not not that Capriccio Arabe. I mean, everyone who has not done Capriccio Arabe. Yeah, I think that's the most recorded guitar piece it, in history. It is. It is. Point, it yeah. is. And I and and uh, so so some great great things to start off there. Uh, some interesting things about Leona. One of the things I think I'd like to throw out there now uh, in in this episode here is just letting some people know, perhaps, and perhaps some of them already do know that Leona Boyd was an opening act. Uh, on tour in 1976 with Gordon Lightfoot of all people, mm-hmm. uh, them being Canadians, uh, I think that's kind of a unique thing to, to talk about and to bring to the table. So, so this would have been a recording after that. She would have, it, and it opened some doors for her. I think I think it exposed uh, classical guitar to a pretty wide audience when they toured uh, uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, thought of an interesting point to bring up. And so I didn't know what your reaction was. About yeah, it. were you aware of that beforehand? No, or, I mean, yeah, because yeah, I, I don't, I didn't know a whole lot about Leona Boyd. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is kind of an inter- interesting idea because as, as classical guitarists, you know, we sometimes kind of have two mindsets about you know, the crowds that we we hang with. You Absolutely, know, and, and I deal with this a lot. You know, with you know people when they think of a classical guitarist, they they typically either think that we're they hear the word classical and so they assume oh you're kind of stuffy doing right. kind of Beethoven esque yep. kind of music. Or they hear hear a guitarist and they think that you're just a singer songwriter that you know just strums some chords in, right. in, a, in a bar, and there's this sense that with classical guitarists we want to some of us want to maybe embrace that sense of being a guitarist and and kind of come into the doors of all those other styles, but then at the oh same boy. time yes. there's a, those are those of us that want to kind of come off as maybe more elite and separate ourselves and right. Sometimes it's hard to know which one, which camp to kind of be in, and sometimes it depends on on the situation. Very well said, and I think, yeah, boy, I mean, I I think I can certainly relate to that. Where you know you want to make sure, well, yeah, if it's written down, I can play it. That's usually mm-hmm. my attitude. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, so many so many people, that's 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 not how they play. You yeah. know, so that's a, that's a that's a wonderful insight. Well. We'll take it away here with side A. Again, this is uh, Leona Boyd. This is the 1980 recording Spanish Fantasy. You are listening to the Classical Guitar LPs podcast. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
we're back on the Classical Guitar LPs podcast. Special guest, Stephen Kennedy, on the program. And it's, Stephen, it's just a lot of fun having you here. Yeah. Being with you, it's kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like a friend you haven't seen. I, I, although I see you, I don't see you as much as I would like. Uh, it's kind of like unpushing pause, and it's it's like time has not no, passed. Sure, you yeah. know, always, always <laughs> with you. So anyway, it's great that you're here. Um, so we listen to side one. I think for for me, um, for me, I, I'm going to say the Grand Hota is probably my favorite one off of that off of that first side. But uh, what did you think? Did you what, which one did you like um, the best? <laughs> yeah, that was a great piece, I think. And then, I mean, Capriccio. It's hard to yeah. you know. That's always a great one to listen to because so many people do it. It's fun to kind of hear the subtle var- variances that, that people do. But uh, yeah, I might I might lean towards the Grand Hota. I agree. Well, and that's it's interesting you say that because. Um, I, I've been doing some brainstorming for future episodes, and I think, um, don't quote me on this out there, but I, there, there's going to be like a War Horses episode or maybe mm-hmm. a War Horses series where, where maybe I take certain pieces that everyone and their brother does yeah. and just listen to those, you know, just listen to that piece and analyze and talk. Oh, that, that's fun, that's yeah. one of my ideas mm-hmm. that I've got coming up, so, so be listening for that mm-hmm. out there. So we're ready to flip over to side two. On side two, we've got... Uh, the Mudara Fantasy, or as many know it, Fantasia. Uh, and then we have a Matteo Albanese uh, piece, the Sonata. Stephen, why don't you tell, tell us the interesting story about the Albanese that we shared before yeah. we did, went on here. So I had a student a few years ago that um, he uh, kind of got, he, he started just as a beginner student, kind of learning basic notes and chords, and then came into doing fingerstyle guitar and then it has an effect on people when that's what the teacher does and excels at it, it's so it's so interesting because you came to Simpson wanting to do all this mm-hmm. wanting to do the classical things so so I, there was no real talking you into anything sure you've seen this with your own two eyes how mm-hmm. you know someone will come to you and and they're oh oh and then you show them some classical things and then poof they just sort of blossom is that yeah. that's sort of what happened more or less yeah <laughs> and and of course you know I when people get into fingerstyle you yep. know in my opinion, you know, finger style. There, there's a lot of great finger style music out oh, there, but once you've done some of the styles, like there's, it, it kind of dead ends to a certain extent. I, you know, and that's uh, yes, um, I agree with and you. And so the next, you know, to, to go beyond that, I think you do have to get into the classical realm, and in, so it's very the, easy to push students into that. And and so this student, he uh, he found this piece. I don't know if he was just doing a simple search, or oh no, I, I take it back. His his <laughs> sister learned this piece on piano so i think originally oh uh, my I, I i should have done a little more research beforehand uh, sure but uh yeah mateo albanes um he was a pianist i believe okay um and so she played this piece on on piano and so he had the idea he wanted to try to play it on guitar oh and wow. he found the music the sheet music for it and it was free online and sure and it's kind of a rough kind of pdf scanned copy and oh yeah and uh it's a great um it's pretty big work. I mean, this would be a piece that, for myself, I'd, I'd have to spend some time working on mm-hmm. if I wanted to prepare it, but definitely a concert-level piece. And he worked on it probably for at least a semester, maybe two semesters even, before he played it uh, for a recital. And uh, he did a great job with it. Um, he, he did it on steel string, too, which, that, I mean, that that's a, a challenge in and of itself, but that's the, that was the right. only thing he really had a sense of how to play, so he you know, he wouldn't have had the limitations that you or I probably would have had trying to play classical music on a, right. on a steel string guitar. Right, yeah, um, I... Yeah, yuck! I'd rather just play it on a classical. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, well, because I would always, I always feel like I've got to be. I always feel like I'm not giving it what I need to if I'm playing on a steel string with my fingers because I don't want to. I don't want to garf up my hands on on steel. I just don't want sure. to do that. 
I mean, unless they're already whacked down or something, then, then but yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at with that. So yeah. no, no, that's a very interesting story. Thanks for yeah. for sharing that. So so we have those two, and then we've got some Fernando Sor pieces. Uh, these may or may not be some of the war horses I'm talking <laughs> about for future episodes. We've got uh, we've got a minuet. Uh, the, the two minuets would not be it, but but certainly this this is Studio 17, the famous B minor. So maybe visit with us about about her playing of Soar and uh, what, what do you think? About yeah, no, I, I liked her recordings on the pieces. Yeah, as you said, I mean, you know, by today's standards, you know, would we mm-hmm. put some study pieces on a on a kind of more of a concert program of of right. of, uh, of music? Um, you know, probably not. But there certainly are some, some even by sore, you know, some concert level etudes that or etudes that would be, I think, you know, worthy enough to be in a in, absolutely, in a set. absolutely. It, it always seemed like if we were to see some some big dog now that would do that, they, they would probably do a set of a whole bunch of them mm-hmm. if you would even see it at all. I think that's your point, right? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Just, that, that's you know, everyone studies them, everyone knows them, but uh, do, do you share them? Do you? put a recording out with them in 2023 probably not yeah and so. dur- you know during this time i mean 1980 yeah. and we certainly are kind of we're not in the infancy stage of, of classical guitar but no it's still you know people are trying to kind of blaze a path absolutely you know, and so we can appreciate that and absolutely um, one kind of uh i guess more of a pet peeve and again this is more in, with today's <laughs> eyes than than back then sure but, you know even calling the piece of studio 17 you know that's of course segovia's numbering and oh, it's not the real not yes. the real sore cataloging number ah, or the, the numbering and you're right about that yeah. and our, our listeners some of the listeners probably do know and it's interesting because uh, about kind of the deep dive stuff, but what what you're referring to is that studio number 17. That's that really isn't even the number the composer himself gave the piece. Andre Segovia, the grandfather of us all, the the mm-hmm. the, the, the the classical guitar grandfather, uh, is the one who he he cherry picked 20 studies and gave them his own numbers. And mm-hmm. so that's that's what you're referring yeah. to when you say a studio 17. So it's interesting because there are other Spanish guitarists who, who also did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Regino Sanz de la Maza is someone who did his own okay. n- numbering system as well. Uh, so so Segovia is not the only one who did it, mm-hmm. but but of course uh, it's, he's the biggest dog. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so very interesting. And then um, I think this might be a great segue into talking about uh, one of the other things that, that that you happen to have in common with Leona mm-hmm. Boyd, and and that's the fact that. Uh, about 20 years ago, uh, Leona was was unaware, but that that what the root cause of her issues were. But she stopped concertizing. Uh, I did some real bird's eye research on it, and it, essentially, she she gave up uh, her playing career because she just turned out that she knows with focal dystonia. Mm-hmm. And I know that that you have you are working through that now. Maybe tell our listeners about your experience with focal. Yes, yeah, focal dystonia. It. Um it's a really bizarre condition. Uh, it is, uh, for the most part, painless. I think I have heard some cases of people having minor pain, but for the most part, mm-hmm. it's more of a sensation in the hand. But yeah, I've I've had it for uh, yeah, I, and probably I probably just should have said she felt off. She didn't sure. feel right. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was no, a better fine. way to put that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've had it for about five years now, and it's a to to back up what what condition mm-hmm. as is a psychophysiologic disorder. Um, or, or usually known by the the um, acronym PPD, and it's a condition that's it, its root is psychological, but then it manifests itself in physical sensations or symptoms. Hmm. 
And the most common type of, of psychophysiologic disorder is actually chronic pain, like chronic back pain, for instance. Sure. Um, the vast majority of people who deal with back pain, for instance, it's actually uh, neuroplastic pain. It's not. There's nothing structurally wrong with their back. Amazing. It's just that something is triggering their brain to say, hey, there's pain here when there really isn't. Wow. And there's been studies done on that uh, pretty uh, um uh, pretty conclusively that that's the case. Now mm-hmm. you say that to somebody with back pain, they, they'll ready, be ready to punch you in the face because they they you know they think that you're telling them their pain's not real when in reality, you know, the pain is real. It's just the brain is wrong for thinking it's in pain. Um, and so anyway, that's that's a form of psychophysiologic disorder. So to put it to uh, as a musician, what what ha- essentially is happening is that. It, it's more or less due to stress and worry and fear that all mm-hmm. happens from you know, being a musician, um, and then it manifests itself when you play the guitar. You know, I don't have this condition for anything else. Um, I don't. Most people that have dystonia don't claim that it. it they notice it during other things. You know, um, you know, maybe typing on a keyboard or something. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, you know, it's not like the finger is just kind of causing. You know, do, doing weird things or not. Sure. And so then, and what the, the conditions are, I guess, to back up to is that the for me, I have it in my fourth finger, my pinky finger of the left hand, the fretting hand. And so when I go to play a note, it may simply just miss or maybe I don't land it exactly how I would want to and it kind of curls into the palm a mm. bit. And for Leona, she has it in her right hand, which um, I think most guitarists tend to get it in the right hand, which... At this point, I don't think there's really any reason why. Well, I guess there would be perhaps some reasons why. But um, so her her issue would be her. I think it's her middle finger curl wants to curl into the palm when she goes to strike uh, a string, mm. and so it just yeah, kind of a bizarre condition. But what that is, it's the symptom of the brain essentially worrying or, fe- or having fear around the guitar maybe performing or just the fear the fear thoughts of, of, mm-hmm. of career and so then the brain comes to associate the guitar and the plane of the instrument is the, the, the essentially the scary thing so it want, it creates this symptom and that's what it does and now I say all this there'll be a, a whole plethora of people that would disagree with me on that right. because there is no right. so, so solid uh, you know uh, medical diagnosis as to what actually is going on there's typically two camps of thought the one that I just kind of laid out which is more it's a psychological route mm-hmm. but then there's the other camp that would just say it's simply some kind of physical problem that you know maybe the you know they might go to the fact that the brain is maybe just sending an incorrect signal but that the condition is physical and um, I've kind of gone down both paths before sure. and I found the I most, can I, imagine yeah so I found you know that the, the the psychological side is you know, I've seen the most progress with myself by going that route and then that just from my own research that seems to be the, the accurate way to understand it um, and so that's where, where, where things are at with that. Now, you know, from when I, I would say I hit the, probably the, the worst portion of having the condition for me would have been probably six months to a year into having it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could certainly say today I'm, I'm, you know, far better than what I was with it. I still, I think I've got most of the mechanics worked out with it. It's just a matter of, of um, you know, just kind can, of can continually, um Adjusting, and I—I I don't even want to say adjusting because I, I haven't really working through it. Maybe. Yeah, because I haven't. You know, Leona, she says that from what I've read that she believes it's due to over practicing, which you know I think that you know I, I don't want to. 
be critical of her saying that. That might be her reason. That may, right. And that may be right. her, uh, you know, understanding from 20, 15 or 20 years ago. Right. Um, whereas today, I think we have a better understanding of it. But yeah, over-practicing cannot cause dystonia, other than, unless you're sitting there practicing and constantly worrying in that sense. But the worrying typically happens, you know, even aside from, gotcha. from, uh, from practicing. Um, and then... Uh, so I haven't I haven't gone about retraining the way I play necessarily. I think I have gone back and um, learned how to play how I played before dystonia. If that okay, makes sense. So sure. I think when I when I developed the symptoms of it, you know, the first thing I would do. Okay, let me let me go back to the to you know the the, the method books and see. Okay, maybe there's something I'm I'm doing wrong where I kind of uh-huh. felt tripped up on. And by doing that, that actually I think made things worse. And this, this kind of gets into kind of a pedagogical thing. Okay. Nearly wow. every book that, you know, you or I have ever seen for classical guitar is wrong about what it teaches about how our hand should be played, you know. You know, I think, you know, of course, the, the Parkinson book, you know, is what I learned from and, and sure. you know, what you taught me with. And, uh, and every book is like that. They basically do a similar diagram where, you know, okay, if we're going to line up on the frets, we want to be yeah. very lateral. You know, our fingers should be lined up with the frets. And then you can, of course, see the pinky how it's angled like I that. I see it, yeah. Totally wrong. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I've come to become an Aaron Shearer kind of guy. Oh, boy. And well. uh, Aaron Shearer was a, a pedagogue. Uh, he taught at uh, uh, the Peabody School of Music, yes. uh, or excuse me, the Peabody uh, Conservatory right. at right. Uh, Johns Hopkins University, and a uh, famous teacher of Manuel Barawaco. And he, Great place to be for medical things, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and basketball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he teaches uh, more of a kind of an angling of the fingers, you know, and, and for, I guess for the listeners that, you know, are or guitarist, you know, if you imagine if you just play like a simple C chord, when you do that, you know, if you're doing it how most people do, your fingers will be at an angle and not right yeah. on their tips because that creates a creates a lot of awkwardness in the hand mm-hmm. and it creates something. In a, you know, I don't know how far in the weeds we want to get with this, but it creates what's Sorry. called uh, thumb orientation. Thumb orientation. You know? And so when we think of this, and and I've learned some of this from from studying uh, body mapping sure. uh, with a guitarist named Gerald Harsher. Um, who lives in Maryland, and uh, he's, you know, I, I can attribute a lot of my uh, recovery and, and my understanding of a lot to of this him. from him, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is a big part of it. So thumb orientation is basically, if we have the mindset that our thumb is our dominant and strongest finger, mm-hmm. and I think most people would probably have that idea, Right. and this is true beyond guitar, you know, if you go to grab a, a glass That's or true. however you do it. But the way that our arm is structured, it's really, we should be more pinky oriented. Because if we think about oh. how the, 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 the way the arm is structured, and we can take it all the way back, we can, we can trace the pinky side all the way back to our shoulder blade. Oh, interesting. And imagine if you're uh, playing tug of war, for instance, you know, if you, if you, where you're getting your strength from. Yeah. It's all along that line oh, of the boy. arm. Yep. And yep. so <laughs> when we translate to the guitar, it doesn't mean that we're always going to be like, okay, that pinky is like our strongest finger or something, but there's a lot of muscles along that side that we can access that really do give us a stronger pinky orientation and takes some of the um, dominance of the thumb away. Now, I also don't want to get confused people with thinking, okay, that means we need to have just really little pressure with the thumb. Um, Actually, no, sometimes we do need to put a little more pressure with the thumb than that. But anyway, just kind of creating a a different sense of how the hand should be structured and how we Mm -hmm. think of the hand and how it it operates. Well, yeah, that is interesting. And I, and I, no, I appreciate you're talking about that because maybe maybe some listeners will figure out some more for themselves and, mm-hmm. and, and benefit their own their own selves from from that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's a huge topic, you know. And, and there is, I mean, I, I can say with uh, you know assurance that I mean, there's far more about dystonia out there today, five years from 
from now since since, since uh, five years ago when I first got it like then there certainly was information out there but it, it felt like you know pretty pretty wide open spaces and now it, it just seems yeah. like there's so much out there and maybe it's simply from my own research and, and having to deal with it but uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding I think but it's, it's a thing that a lot of guitarists have like there's yes. I could sit here and name off a huge number of people right that have it and I'm not going to because right, 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 right. Because some of them don't want it. Don't yeah, want it said. Exactly, you know? exactly. And so I think it's a it's a condition that a lot of us. And I, I wouldn't doubt there's people that have it, and they just think that they're just not very good at the guitar, and so that's interesting. the problem, you know. But yeah, very interesting. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that, and I and I think I'm just. I'm just pleased that uh, I remember when you told me about it first, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm just glad to say that you're, you're, you know, you've 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 continued to play, and you've you have figured out a way, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. that's that's the greatest thing. And and uh, so, in any case, well, thank you for sharing that. And we have one more number really to talk about, and it's it's a piece that, that you and I both know. Mm-hmm. I know that you you played this in some of your graduate work, the, yeah. the Opus Nine by mm-hmm. Fernando Sor. Yeah. To kind of bring, I guess, Segovia up again, because he was very anti-introduction. Uh, anti-introduction, that's right, and, that's right. you know, it was causing, you know, whole, the whole kind of ethical <laughs> side of, okay, do, you know, do I get to choose what I play if a composer th- wanted right. this in the piece, you know? And right. I think the introduction is probably the best part of that whole piece. I mean, yeah. it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, e- even during this time in 1980, you know, where there's still that heavy influence of, of, of Segovia, very um, heavy. You know, I don't know if she was the first person to record the introduction. Probably not. I don't know. Yeah, um, that would be fun to look up. I can. Yeah, but you know, the fact that she went ahead and did it nonetheless, I think, is was great because yeah, because uh, at Parkin he didn't record the introduction, no. right? Um, no. The variation. I think she she cooks on the guitar and uh, and plays it real well, and I, I think it's a real treat. Like I tried to explain for side one, um, not to start a, a Venus and Mars discussion. I know we've had another one, uh, kind of a discussion on focal dystonia here as well. Uh, but but the the whole Venus and Mars thing to to anyone who's out there, um, if you ever grew up with having a, a woman teacher, there is just a, there is just a different way that some things are said spoken and i know i know for my experience at simpson college uh we had a, a choral director dr rebecca gruber and just the way that she went about explaining things it was so different from the way some of the, the male teachers would would say it and you would just go well yeah you made that really simple i understand totally and i think i really hear her sensibility yeah, that's the thing i hear in her playing so much is i hear some of that that sensibility that that I don't think I could ever bring to the table as a performer, mm-hmm. and that's where my respect of her playing comes so much. And and uh, anyway, I just wanted to go down that road a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, so. there was one spot too, and I, I should have probably mm-hmm. got my score out to kind of that's all right. mark exactly yeah. where it was at. But there's one spot where I think she did make a change or something, or maybe something popped out that was different. Oh, 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 um, oh. And I look here, every one of these, yes, it does say arranged by. Yeah, so she so may she, have added. She some may things. have done some. Uh, what it, it was some kind of harmony that she added. To Okay. Sure. I don't. I don't remember what part it was. I I, I heard it at the time, and then I well, wasn't. listeners, you can listen to this and and, and let us know exactly yeah. where it's at. So that's that's interesting. Uh, an embellishment, as it were. Yeah. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for joining us here on the Classical Guitar Piece Podcast. It'll be just a lot of a delight to listen to the second side. And uh, once again, why don't you go ahead and, and let them know where they can find you? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
my website, stephenkennedyguitar.com, is probably the best uh, overall source to find all information about me. And you can look me up on YouTube if you simply type in Stephen Kennedy Guitar, and that's Stephen with a V, Stephen Kennedy Guitar, and you can find my channel and, and uh, subscribe and check out some of my videos. Thanks again, Stephen. We'll enjoy side two of Leona Boyd, Spanish Fantasy from 1980. Thank you.